Tell me who's that right down the river later? Who's that right down the river later? Who's that right down the river later? Wrote the book of the seven seals. You know, God walked out in the cool of the day. John the Revelator, who's that right? John the Revelator, who's that right? John the Revelator wrote the book of the Seven Seas. Welcome to Kaisis, a podcast about living our new life in the new covenant age. Our podcast name comes from two Greek words, kaine ketesis, which mean new creation. I'm your co-host, Osvaldo Valdez, and let me introduce you. Pastor Todd Bordeaux. Well, Spaldo, we're back talking about the church, and uh, we're going to go back and forth from theology to history, and, and you're taking the history part, and thanks for yeah. last week. Oh, of course, um, of course. You enjoy that, don't you? Oh, yeah, it's always fun. It's always fun and insightful, and sometimes disappointing. Because <laughs> like we said last week, you know, we over-romanticize it only to see kind of the, the skeletons in the closet. Yeah, jars of clay, huh? Yeah, yeah. Feet of clay. So in episode one, we talked about how the church sees itself. We talked about the importance of seeing ourselves as the community of the kingdom of heaven, that we are a colony of heaven. And as a colony, we're placed in the world on mission, and that mission is the gospel to reach people for eternity. And the further away we move away from this, seeing ourselves as the colony of heaven and on mission, the further it is from what it means to be a true church. Which is, by the way, why I chose this new theme song, John the Revelator, Hmm. that uh, a focus on the second coming often defines a church, not only what they believe happened in the first coming, but the importance of the second coming. Yeah. And that's where eschatology comes in. So we're not answering the question here. I want to sort of reaffirm this. What is a church? There's plenty of material on that. I was just reading John Owen this week, Hmm. and he has such wonderful thoughts, very clear on what is a church theologically. But we're talking about what makes a good church, what keeps it on the right track, And so today we're going to talk about how people view their place in the church. And if we're a colony of heaven, what does that say about church leadership? So there's two paradigms we're going to talk about today, how we see the church. Either it's a paradigm of authority or community. Whatever paradigm you choose will win out. So it's very important that the right one does. And I don't mean by that that only one or the other exists. We, we do see leadership clearly both in the Old and New Testament. But what is the paradigm? In the Old Testament, the paradigm is clearly more authority than community. The kings ruled the people. The focus was on the kings. No. The worship was led by the Levites. What they did was very different from what the congregation of Israel did watching them. 
They would be the ones singing. They offered the sacrifices. But in the New Testament, we don't have any more prophets, priests, and kings. Christ has come to fulfill all those roles in one person. And all of us have the Holy Spirit equally. So the paradigm has changed. And so the best paradigm for the new covenant community is not a top-down authority, but a heavenly community under the authority of Christ. Mm. So as we consider the two paradigms, any initial thoughts on that? Yeah, first it's like, it, it, I think it's a great question to wrestle with because these these two paradigms wrestle much, much with each other, especially um, in, um, I would say, even in Protestant circles where uh, there is a tendency to be extremely, you know, anti-authority. We don't want to be like the Roman Catholics or high, other other high churches or something like that. And there's a tendency sometimes to go to one extreme. I think you mentioned in one episode um, that you know, oh, you've heard of a church that doesn't even have a pastor. They all kind of lead at some point, preach at some point, and that that leads to chaos. Like you said, that the, there's a clear. Uh, outline for leadership in the church, uh, in the, I'm sorry, in the New Testament. At the same time, there's the other, the other side, the other extreme, right, where the church becomes so uh, authoritarian that uh, it's almost like the laity is is completely dismissed. There's almost a spiritual hierarchy. So this, it it is a tension that 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 we we do have to wrestle with. But something I want to to note, Pastor, is that oftentimes this these paradigms of authority and community usually come, at least historically. When, um, when the survival of the church seems at stake. And, and that's what we talked about in our Sunday school about uh, St. Ignatius, who um, the church went from a community paradigm, you know, very, quote unquote, like informal type leadership, you know, not, not so emphasized, to Ignatius being so scared that the church is going to disappear in his absence. He starts instituting, you know, strict hierarchy in the churches. And that's not something unique to Ignatius. I'm pretty sure um, a lot of people have stories of when the church starts dwindling, not many visitors. The pastor sometimes wants to take a very authoritarian role. And it goes from, you know, small community church to, you know, pastor trying to, like, make sure that the church survives. I don't know. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Yeah, it does. Historically, that's that's a good point. They, they run to the authority paradigm yeah. when they're... When they think they're in trouble. Hmm. Now, we see in the New Testament that the way the church described is a community paradigm over an authority paradigm. Think of all the imagery of the church, a building made out of living stones, a body with many members, a flock of sheep with one shepherd, a kingdom of priests. See, all these images are the images of a community of equality with one authority over them, the Lord Jesus Christ. Hmm. Um, the New Testament could have used military imagery for the church, but it does not. It uses this imagery of community, the body of Christ. And we also see that in the way the New Testament is written. It's written to all. The responsibilities throughout the New Testament are to all believers, Men, women, leaders, uh, lay people, whatever you want to call it. Uh, the Bible is simply written to everyone to, to um, apply equally. Even matters of church discipline, 
1 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 6, the Apostle Paul addresses the entire church. He says, it's all your responsibility to deal with this issue. He doesn't speak to, to some, you know, a leadership authority, say, it's your responsibility. It's the whole church. Hmm. And then when, when submission is mentioned, for the most part, it's mutual submission one to everyone, Ephesians 5.21, submit one to another. Mm. And so a, a, a paradigm of authority, the focus would always be on submit to human authority. But the, the mutual submission is found throughout the entire New Testament of serving one another, looking out for one another's interests is higher than ourselves. No. And so the paradigm, and again, we'll talk a little bit about church leadership in a minute, but the paradigm is clearly community over authority. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, for me, I mean, this description you're giving on how the New Covenant Church looks like in the New Testament, I mean, this sounds like Eden language to me, Pastor. Hmm. I mean, when we look at the Genesis story, we think of Adam and Eve before the fall, they are both called, there is language of authority. They're both called to mutually rule over the earth. But you never hear this language of, they're meant to rule each other. It's interesting because it is not until after the fall that you start hearing language of uh, of, of, of Adam and Eve trying to rule over, over the other. So I think at least Genesis before the fall does seem to kind of give us kind of a picture of that kind of a balance where you have the sense of community in humanity where they, they, they mutually exercise rule over the created order. So the reason I bring that up is because when we think of Jesus as, a, as this new covenant ruler, or more specifically, as our second Adam, who's creating a new humanity, right? a, a renewed humanity uh, that's centered around him, uh, I, I think it's on purpose that, that, that we're supposed to kind of look back to the Genesis story and see, wow, um, the relationship between Adam and Eve before the fall wasn't one of authority over one another, but of community, and that together um, they, they they ruled the created order. And isn't that kind of sound very similar to uh, the promises that were given that in the new creation we will rule alongside with Christ, not rule over one another? So I don't know. I, I see kind of that that balance there. And that really, that's a great point. It brings up eschatology because. In heaven, will we have rulers over us in mm. the church? Only Jesus. And so if if we are a colony of heaven now, if heaven begins um, with the coming of the Spirit, then the church should remind us of what heaven will look like. Yeah. And so even though in a temporary sense we're still in this world, there are leaders, the way they function and the way the church functions should remind people of the unity in heaven. Yeah. And so, like you said, we look back to Genesis. This is how it started. But then we look ahead to how it will end. Exactly. Now, another way we can see that community is the paradigm is the freedom of conscience each Christian is given. Hmm. So, for example, Romans 14, who are you to judge someone else's servant to their own master servant stand or fall? And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. So Christians in the New Covenant, each one of them follow the Lord directly. 
There's not an intermediary that is our spiritual authority that tells us how to obey the Lord as far as um, applying the word. People can teach us, but we follow the Lord directly according to our consciences. And that's what it means when it says we no longer call any man father. No. We, don't, we don't have a priest anymore. And so the fact that we're all priests equally shows this community mindset that we can't judge one another. Um, you know, a, a wife doesn't need a husband to stand in the gap between her and God to direct her. Hmm. Um, a man and a woman, all Christians have Christ as their authority and follow directly. Uh, we also see that with the mutual giftedness. Each one is gifted equally in the church. We all have different gifts, but each gift is just as important. And it's really interesting in Romans 12, leadership is mentioned as a gift, but it's mentioned after service. And you would think with a typical hierarchy, leadership would be mentioned first, wouldn't you think? Yeah. And yet it's the gift of service and then a couple down and if you have leading so it really levels off leadership to just another gift wow. among many. And so yeah. a healthy church has a strong sense that Christ is the one over each person. And therefore, we, we respect each person's conscience in following Christ. And a strong sense that we all need each other. Hmm. Leaders need people as much as people need leaders. Um, whatever gift you have, that's only the one gift you have. Hmm. And so each of us need everyone else. The Apostle Paul always talked about how he needed the prayers and the encouragement of the saints. And he was an apostle. Yeah. And so as you said, in the New Testament, there's no spiritual pecking order. There's no spiritual hierarchy. There's no spiritual experts that are in charge of others. It is a true community of believers. Um, any any thoughts on the way the New Testament unfolds this? Uh, two things. One, uh, it just I'm kind of a little bit surprised. I just haven't thought about it. But Romans fourteen, if if we enter into that that time when when Romans is being read to the church, I mean, Paul makes no distinction between member or leader. In other words. A, a, a pastor or an elder, a presbyter, can't impose his conscience on another Christian. In other words, Romans 14 applies equally to the leaders as it does to, to the layperson. And it's interesting that Paul makes zero distinction there, that not even a leader can impose uh, his conscience on, on, on someone on someone else. So that, that on, its, on its own is just very impactful and kind of shows that even Paul out of this, this community mindset. So that raises the question, what about church authority? Is there such a thing? Well, First uh, Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13 says, Now we ask you, brethren, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. So there is an authority, but it's a, a declarative authority. Um, as teachers declare what the Bible says, we submit to those declarations, but their authority is really administering Christ's authority. It's not their own. 
So it's not their conscience or application, what they think, how we should apply the word. It's declaring what the word actually teaches clearly. And this is one of the dangers of the modern worldview. Everyone talks about a worldview. Often worldview is another way to sneak in legalism and authoritarianism. I mean, if the Bible gives a worldview on every issue, then the leader can declare how you should apply the Bible in every issue. And so you end up following a man instead of following Christ um, by your own conscience. And so Christians can easily forget their freedoms in Christ that they can follow their conscience led by the Spirit, but they are to listen to those who teach the actual Word of God. Um, but even then, when we talk about leadership in Christ's kingdom, Jesus turned this whole concept on its head, didn't he? Mm. He no. said, authority in my kingdom is lowering yourself and serving. Mm. Now, remember that Romans, as you mentioned, was written to people in Rome. And what was the Roman culture like? It was based on authority. Yeah. Everything in Rome was about top-down authority. Who's in charge of who? Mm. And so the Romans itself would be a radical departure from Roman culture. Yeah. Talking about equality and community and submitting one to another. And those who have any type of leadership are to serve and lower themselves. Um, that was unheard of in mm. Roman society. And so there's a danger historically of overemphasizing authority in the church. And you've mentioned already, you saw that with um, Ignatius, right? Or yeah. Have any other danger you see historically? Yeah. Because then once, um, what we do see in history is that when once emperors start becoming Christian and start going to church, the conversation starts to be, changes dramatically where it's like, okay, the emperor still remains the emperor, even if he's still a Christian, but who has more authority? Now that the, now that the emperor is under the church, does that mean that the church is over the empire. And, and oftentimes this conversation was spoken in, in these terms. The church has a sword and the government has another sword, but the sword of the church is greater and more powerful. And then that, that inevitably led to kind of what the church in the, in the middle ages was, you know, this, this authoritarian strict hierarchical structure that in many occasions has more power than the state itself or was the state itself. And what's funny, uh, not, not funny, but just very interesting, is that when they spoke of the church, they were not talking about the people. They were not talking about the lay people. They were talking about, you know, the bishops, the the, the pope, the, you know, the leadership. So as you can see, um, that the church, once they adopted this, once they overstepped their boundaries and got into the state, they lost, honestly, I, I would argue that they lost this sense of community altogether. Um, it was all, all top down. But it, um, as a side note, you mentioned that um, the, what, what, what the church does have and what leadership does have is declarative authority. And it's simply to declare what the Bible says. And it's funny because when you first told me that, we were at, I think, at a Mexican restaurant or something like that. And it bothered me, Pastor. Because I was like, dang, that means the the church leaders don't actually have any real authority. 
if they can't actually do anything, just all they have is to say. But what in my ignorance, what was I, what I wasn't, um, what I wasn't having in mind is that one, like, like any, like any, uh, like just think about the gospel declaration. Who makes that effective? It's, it's, it's the spirit, right? The spirit of God, God working in the hearts and, and, and minds of people. And that's not less, that's not less power. If anything, that's the, that is, that is the source of our, of our power and authority as Christians. So when it comes to the church and specifically our leadership and that they have declarative authority, that's not weak when we have in mind that it is the spirit who's the one that's at work behind that declaration, working and rebuking or correcting in the hearts and minds of, of believers. Yeah, and, and there there are other dangers when when a church is really focused on who has the authority to do this or that, and you know who can pray out loud and who can read the Bible and Oof, yeah. all all these who can and only the experts, only the 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 quote leaders. It it the danger is it makes Christianity a religion of experts, hmm. and so your average Christian thinks well. I can't pray like that, so I'm kind of embarrassed of praying. Mm. Or I'm not allowed to question the convictions of the leaders. They're the leaders. They're my authority. And they start thinking, I can't make the decisions that are best for me. What if they disagree? So we become a religion of following men instead of Christ. And then the church, as you said, like it happened in the Middle Ages, it becomes a place where we, we come and receive from the priestly class grace. And so everything is about them administering grace to us. So instead of a church being a place where we all come together using our gifts mutually to build up one another, and we each have wisdom, we each have discernment, we each have gifts, the church becomes, just come let the experts minister to you, then you can go home. And maybe that's not mentioned explicitly, but implicitly, that's what's sensed. Yeah. And this danger can be in the mega church with a powerfully speaking pastor, or in a smaller church with very structured authority. It's still a danger. Yeah. And so there is such thing as church leadership in the Bible. Things need to be done decently and in good order. And there are people that are overseers to make sure that happens but only as one gift they have among many, and that's only to serve and help people. But the basic paradigm in the new covenant is we're all in community together. We're each equally important. We each have strengths and weaknesses. In some ways, we're more mature than others, um, whether whatever gift you have, leadership or not. And we all need one another. Yeah. Everyone in the church. Hmm. So any final thoughts on the importance of seeing the community as the chief paradigm? Yeah, I'm I'm just thinking right now and reflecting that um underlying, especially in the New Testament community, why is it that Paul emphasizes this community aspect? And you and you you quoted these all these wonderful passages that really almost on the surface, it's almost like, did Paul not care about leadership? And clearly he did, but he just emphasized the priesthood of all believers. We we, we are all a, 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 an eschatological community. His emphasis was so much on community, but there's a reason why. It wasn't just for fun or anything like that, just because it sounds nice, but has everything to do with the spirit, 
the fact that God has made his dwelling among people. But not even not even that. It's just Paul has such a strong conviction. And the New Testament writers had such a strong conviction that it is the spirit who leads the church, who preserves the church. Like he wasn't like as many people try to put him, he wasn't in the shadows or anything like that. He wasn't working merely in the background. He was the driving force, the, the, the life force of the church. So if it is the spirit, the, the wise, all-powerful God who is leading, preserving the church, then there's no reason to overemphasize authority. If it, at the end of the day, it's the spirit in the heart of every believer, in the heart of every church, that's leading and preserving. So I think um, that is such an the main reason why Paul and the New Testament writers speak in this community sense. And I think that's that's it's supposed to capture our imaginations as well as we come to church, as we interact with uh, these questions regarding church leadership or or church conflict or whatever. We really have to come in that mindset that at the end of the day, it is God's spirit um, that is the life force who preserves and guides His church. Amen. You ended with a mini sermon. That was awesome. <laughs> no. Uh, so next week, the first uh, last week, you took us through the first two centuries, and so next week we're going to look at, and you you can lead us up. What happened to the church then? The next two centuries. Ooh, yeah. Where did that turn? And that's going to be interesting. So yes, it will. We hope you all can join us for that. Three, I tell the rules and John the Revelator Tell the rules and write John the Revelator Wrote the book of the seven seas